first, I have an important conversation to have with you, and I want you to ponder this. This is an important question that uh, I don't know if you've thought about much or whatever, but I think it's, it's worth um, some consideration today. And here's the question. When you think of the church, right, and what we are and who we are, are we more alike stormtroopers or Avengers? Told you it was deep. Thanks. Thanks for one laugh. <laughs> I just told you it was deep, right? Think of it. You've probably not thought about that before. Stormtroopers or Avengers? When we talk about disciples, like we're making disciples, what does the church make? Are we making stormtroopers or Avengers? And I think you know, but Avengers, what I mean by that is the Marvel hero, you know, super team, right? Thor and Iron Man and all that. Um, but both, both might make some sense. When you think about stormtroopers, all right, stormtroopers, right, you, you recognize a stormtrooper anywhere, right, whether they're in a whole group or they're by themselves, they, you know that's a stormtrooper. You know that their mission. They seem to have, like, I don't, you know, radios are always, you know, they know what their mission is. They know what to do. They can always hear and sense. They're terrible shots, but, you know, they're, they, they've got a lot of good things going for them as far as kind of their, they know their mission and they know, who is on their team, and they know what to do, All right? But, and I guess uh, Finn kind of messed that up, right? I mean, we saw a whole new side of the stormtroopers when the Force Awakens kind of in their thought, but that's maybe real too. So, you know, you have some that just aren't, aren't with it, and so maybe that's, that's a good picture of the church. The other side, Avengers, right? They're all unique. They're all different. They look different. Right? They have different uniforms and all that. They come from different places. They all, they, they all have different powers and strengths. And you look at them, and individually, I mean, I think they kind of all probably have this desire to do something good, but it's different, right? Some is a little more self-centered and more is some altruistic. Uh, some are more thoughtful. Some are just the brute force, like the Hulk, you know? They all kind of have their different things, but when they come together, when they really know what their mission is and they trust each other and all that, they can do so many great things. They're powerful. So what do you think? I, I kind of, I used to think that we were more like the church is producing stormtroopers, you know? They look alike, they, you know, they're, they're all, they all wear the same thing, they think alike, they act, you know, the same, they march the same way and all that. But I, as I've kind of grown, I, I think we're more like Avengers. We're all different. And we have our quirks and all that. And we have to learn how to work with each other. But if we can learn to work with each other, if we can really learn to love each other and appreciate our differences, oh man, what, what we can do. What is possible? You know, we look at the church and what we are doing and who we're, what we're producing and as you look at scriptures, you look at, at what Jesus is talking about, you know, throughout the book of John that we've been studying, we, we see a church that's, that's united, right? We see, we see people that are, understand the mission and they're called out to that. But in the past couple of years in particular, I mean, even going back to the beginning, this is something the church has just struggled with. We struggle with being united and we, we end up dividing Right? We've seen that through denominations over the years. But even over the last couple of years, we see a church that's been pretty divided. One pastor said the church has undergone CPR since 2020, CPR. What he means by COVID, uh, political issues, and racial unrest. 
CPR. You're like, man, they have, you know. The church has, has had all of these things, and culture too, right? But as the church, like, we've tried to figure this out. And we've had so many opinions, opinions on, on the whole COVID situation and masks and unmasks and vaccinated and that, meeting together or meeting in line, inside, outside, all those things. We've got the political issues, and I don't mean just the Trump, Biden, and, and all of that kind of stuff. But even just the, the issues that the Supreme Court has been seen, right? The abortion, LGBTQ issues, and all of that that's been in our culture. And, and we as a church, what do we, we think about this? You know, we have different opinions. And then in just the racial situation. And, you know, we had uh, some stuff that happened in 2020 and 21. But even just with that, like, what's the response of the church? Is, this, is the church supposed to um, speak out against this? Or do we, you know, just kind of let that go? Like, what is the response? And how, how much do we engage and not? All of these things have, given, you know, just been tough on the church. And we, probably like every other church in America, have lost people on every one of these reasons. We've, people have left. All right, we also, for our church, has had another, you know, thing come up that's just the, the two campuses, Brea and Anaheim and, and all of that, and just, you know, should we be two different campuses or one or all that? So, but, but we've lost people on all of those things. Some people didn't like how we handled uh, social justice issues or the politics or, uh, or the vaccines and masks and stuff like that. I have a friend who's a pastor not far from here, about 20 minutes from here, and he just got a letter uh, just about a couple weeks ago from a longtime family. Been, a family that's been at the church a long time and just said, we are looking for a church that is not afraid to talk about political issues. So we will be leaving this, you know, this church. Um, man, is that what the church is? Just a, a place where we can talk about political things and hopefully agree and all that? Or is there something much deeper? Uh, a few... Um, Oh, maybe this last year, there was a, a book written by Andy Stanley called Not In It to Win It. Someone in our church gave it to me and said, this might, might be good to read. And it, it was kind of his reflection since COVID. Um, and uh, the Andy Stanley made a big, um, their church over in Atlanta, early on, they just said, we're not going to meet for the rest of the year. This is when we were still thinking this might just be a few weeks or a month. They said, we're not going to meet for the rest of the year. And so they took a lot of heat for that. But this book is kind of his reflections on all that. And it's, very, it's probably more heavy on the political side. But he asks this question. He says, is it possible for us to disagree politically without disrupting our unity? He's talking about the church. Is, is it possible for us to disagree politically without disrupting our unity? Can we have difference of opinions on, on whether it's presidents or, or ish, social issues of the day? Can we as a church have different opinions but still love each other? Or even, he talked about politically, but maybe culturally or theologically. I mean, man, those, there's so much out there. In other words, do we all have to agree on all the same things in order to be unified and to love one another? Or can we have difference of opinions? It is possible, but it is hard. Now, it's possible for us to come together, even being very different and, and have difference of, of opinions and all that, but it is hard. All right, we see this in our culture. We see it all over. Uh, there's one reason. It's fundamental attribution error. Actually, there's lots of reasons, but this is one. Fundamental attribution error is when you look at someone's behavior and you, you qualify it with character, 
right? So, and this is what I mean. It will make sense right now. You have a team meeting. Your team meeting is meeting on Tuesday at 9 a.m. It's very important that the whole team is there. You've got a lot to cover. You're there. You are ready. You have your coffee. You have your laptop, your notepad. You have all your documents that you need. But then 20 minutes later come in, you know, that guy, the single guy. He comes in late. And you see him come in late, but instead of just saying, well, there must have been some bad traffic, you attribute character to him. He doesn't care. Right? He's not in this. He did, he's, he's not bought in. He's lazy. He was probably up till 3 a.m. playing computer games or whatever. Um, you know, you, you attribute these things to him. But when you're late, well, it's because the kids had an emergency or the traffic, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's very circumstantial, you know, but... But to others, we put on this character. And we have seen that so many times in culture. Where people that disagree with us, we, we label them all these different things. Oh, they're so immature. They're so, you know, they're so liberal or they're so conservative or whatever. We don't take into account just the situation in their lives. And so we've seen that just through culture. We've seen that all around. But here in the church, we bring that into the church. But it, those are the things that disrupt this unity. Christ has called us to be one. He said it so many times in so many different ways. It says that when you guys are unified, when you are one, the power of the gospel goes forth. Can't help but think of, uh, it's not our passage today, but John 13, 34 to 35, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you. Right, that you are to love one another just as I've loved you, so you are to love one another. It says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Do you see? It's, it's very focused on action, not on beliefs and thoughts. He doesn't say, this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you all agree together, or if you all vote this way, or if you all think this. If you all can make this kind of a good argument, then the world will know you're my disciples. He doesn't say that. It's not so much on the beliefs, but on the action, on loving one another. In Matthew 5, when he talks about uh, being a light, he says this world will know through your arguments, beliefs, not through your good works. Beliefs are totally important. Please don't hear that it's not, you know, we don't, doesn't care what you believe. Like, there, there's a lot there. Beliefs are important that we believe the right thing, that we have a right theology. The point, though, is that sometimes those are the things that get in the way. And how we are to work through that is being, is our actions and loving one another. We are to fight for this unity. Why? Because this is right in the center of God's heart. We're finishing up this little series that we've been in, just a little, quick little mini-series, looking at John 17. We're calling it Praying Through God's Heart. Right? Looking at what God's heart is. As this John 17 passage, this is Jesus' longest prayer that's recorded in Scripture. Not his last before the crucifixion, but the last one that's recorded. And we've just said, if this is the last night of his life, in just a few hours he's going to be executed, in just a little bit of time he's going to hand over all of this, this church to these disciples, what does he pray for? That's probably going to be very important as we go forward. But as we've looked over these last couple of weeks, 
we said this, is, this prayer is about mission. This is Jesus' mission. Why he came, what the purpose of it was, and now he hands it to his disciples, and then in the passage today, to the disciples' disciples, to those who follow disciples, that's the church, that's us. It's about mission. All right, this is, this is not just the, something on the side. This is at the heart of it. This is the most important part. All right, this is the banana and the banana split, all right? The sugar and the sugar cookies are today to get us ready. It's the, the pumpkin and the pumpkin pie. This is essential, what he says here. And he starts this prayer in John 17, 1. He's asking, he's, he's praying for glory. He says, glorify your son, that your son will glorify you. The word glory is all through this passage. That's going to be central. That God's glory is it's in heaven, but he put it on his son, and his son said, Man, I'm going to magnify you. I'm going to let this world know about your glory. He then prays for eternal life. He says, this is eternal life, that they would know me. Nothing about the future, nothing about eternity, but eternal life that they would know God, know his glory. He then talks about the work that he's done on earth in verse 4. He says, I brought glory, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. I'm going to the cross. I'm reconciling all of humanity to you. You wanted me to come. To, to reconcile men and women, to bring them into relationship, and I'm doing that. But then he says, but I'm going to leave, but I'm leaving my disciples here, and they're going to carry on this work. What do you mean carry on the work? Didn't do, Jesus did the work on the cross, but they're going to carry on the work of glorifying God, of making him known to this world. That's their mission. And he says, I'm going to pray two things for them, for their protection and for their sanctification. I want them to be protected, right? I'm sending them into the world. The evil one is there. He wants to destroy. Would you watch over them, protect them, and bring them back into eternity? Don't let them lose salvation. Don't let the devil get to them, but protect them. And then that they would be changed. They would be sanctified. They'd be changed by the word of God. Like your word is true. Sanctify them with this. And so he prays for his disciples that they would go into this world, they would continue the mission. But then we get to the section today, the prayer today, because now he prays for us to continue what he began. What the disciples were all about is the mission of the church. Listen to this prayer. It says, my prayer is not for them alone, right, just for the disciples, but I'm including those who would believe. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's our mission, to go in this world, to proclaim the glories of God so that all would know him. But how do we do that? How do we accomplish such a thing? By uniting as one. Is God's people to make Jesus' name known to all the world. That's how we're going to do it. Today we'll just look at two things. The world is not one, and the church is one. Okay, so we'll look at the world, and we'll look at the church. The world is not one. It is not unified. 
The world is against the things of God. Jesus talks about this here early in this passage, uh, just before verse 20. He says this, this word world many times. John uses this word more than any other writer in the Bible. He loves this world. And sometimes when he talks about the, this word world, it's about the physical world, right? That God created the world and things like that. But so much of the time when he talks about the world, he's talking about this, uh, the people in the world and the, the structures in the world, the things that are opposed to God. He talks about his disciples. He says, don't be surprised when the world hates you because they hated me first. The world stands against me. The world stands in rebellion against me because I'm all about seeking the glory of another. I'm about surrendering my will to lay down my life to save others, but the world doesn't operate that way. The world doesn't love this idea of submission. They don't love the word surrender. You think about that word, that word has got to be one of the hardest in our language, surrender, to give up, to admit defeat, to come under someone else's authority. Those are not values from our world, right? Not just our American culture, but the world. We do not like to surrender. Last week, my wife and I went to see uh, Bono. Uh, he was doing a book tour up in L.A., and his book is called Surrender. And at the end, near the end, he said, this whole concept of surrender is, it's like what I struggle with. I've been learning my whole life how to surrender, how to surrender to my band, how to surrender to uh, my wife, how to surrender to my kids, and how to surrender to my maker. He says, I have not figured it out. I'm working on it. It's just the, it's the biggest challenge before me, how I surrender. I think that's, that's, that's our world, right? I and mean, that's us as Christians, too. That's what we battle with. How do we surrender to our God? We have this will that wants what we want, and yet we, have, we hear God's voice saying, it's not what you want, but follow me. And, and, and how do we live that out? It's hard. But our world, they, they, don't, they don't value that. They want to stand up. They want to do their own thing. But Jesus says, like, this world is going to be fighting against you. God has sent me into the world to pull people out. And that is the church. We're pulled out of the world. And when you think, if you just left it at that, we'd have this idea that, hey, Jesus came and saved us from the world. He brought us into his kingdom. And now we have to run away from the world. We have to flee. We have to separate it. We have to make it very clear that we are not of this world. But then Jesus says in verse 18, he just says something very crazy. He says, but those who I called out, I'm sending them back into the world. I'm sending them back in there. What? Why are you Jesus? Jesus, why are you doing that? You pulled us out of the church. I mean, out of the world. You put us in the church. We should be different. We should look different. We should be like the stormtroopers. Everybody will know who we are. But he says, I'm sending you back in there so that you can make my name known. There's going to be opposition. They're not going to like it. It is going to be a struggle because the, the world is not unified. The world divides. And you're going to be in there and you're going to be tempted to divide and make walls and build and segregate even within the church. But don't do it. Don't do it. We are to be in the world, 
but not of the world. And this, this is that, this beautiful picture of, of when Jesus talks about the world. He talks about this world that's in opposition to him, that hates him. But then you hear God's heart that says, but God so loved the world. He loved the enemies. He loved the people that stood against him. Man, isn't that crazy? This world that hates him, God loves. And he says, I'm sending you in there because I love them. I'm sending you into the world because I love them. I'm putting you in your jobs and in your neighborhoods and in your schools and in your parks because I love these people. And I want you to proclaim that love. Whatever that looks like. God has loved this world. He gave his, save, his son to be the savior of the world, to show him this love. That was his mission, and that is the mission today. The church and the world not divided. The church is one. The church is united, and that's what we see here. He prays for this church. He says in verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, just the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who are those people? It's men, women, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, right? slaves, free, soldiers, tax collectors, political zealots. Educated, uneducated, poor, middle class, wealthy, the married, the singles, the divorced, the remarried, all of these people. These are the people who make up the church. And these are the people that he's praying for. And what does he pray for? Health, wealth, uh, influence. No, he prays for unity. That the church to be unified. So he says, I pray for them. And then verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's awesome. I've given them the glory that you gave me. God's glory is upon these people, the church, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. There's a lot in there. The I am in them, and they are in me, and you are in me. And, you know, I, he's talking about the Trinity. And I, I got to confess, I don't understand the depths of what Jesus is talking about. I, I am still trying to comprehend the church and the, the Trinity and how they're united. But here you have this language of, of God and Jesus and Jesus and God and and uh, just the Holy Spirit in there, there's the, the Trinity, three distinct people making up the Trinity. And there's this unity and this love. And in some strange way, Jesus is applying that to the church, saying the church, even though you're different people, but you are one. You believe the same thing. You are to be unified. It's incomprehensible to think of a church that is divided that is upset, that's polarized. It'd be like the Trinity being that way. It'd be like the Holy Spirit just saying, you know what, I don't get enough credit around here. Nobody talks about me. What about me? I do great work. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. It won't happen. It can't happen. 
But yet, in the church, we have this, well, they're not like me. They don't dress like me, or their hair is too different, or whatever it is. We divide, but that cannot be. When Jesus is praying for the church, he's praying for this unity that that he experienced with the Father, that we would experience that together. I'm telling you, I still, I'll probably spend the rest of my life trying to understand the depths of that. But it's huge. It's huge. Our mission to proclaim the glory of God, not my glory, but his glory. He says that they, all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so that, so that, here's the purpose, the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you hear that? That you would be one so that the world would believe that you have sent me. Have you ever thought about what happens in here and how we love each other has anything to do with evangelism? Have you ever thought that this is evangelism? That the way that we love each other and how we're interconnected and how people from different backgrounds and different places and have different beliefs and have different thoughts and ideas about how the world would run and how government should happen, that we can be a powerful witness, that we can do evangelism right here? Evangelism is a community event. Okay, Think about it this way. Evangelism, as he's talking about here, is a community event. We get so scared about evangelism, don't we? Most people, probably if we surveyed most Christians, what's the one thing that scares you the most? Like sharing my faith, you know, uh, proclaiming the gospel. I get so nervous. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I can't remember, you know, what verses to use and all of that. And I, but we think about it as individual event. But have you ever thought that by you being here, by you getting to know someone who's different than you, getting to know their name, getting to know about their children, about praying for them, having dinner together or lunch, have you ever thought about that being a powerful evangelism? I don't know if we thought about that, but it's true. There's a, um, a commentator, Bruce Milne, I think that's how you say his last name. I see his name everywhere, but I don't know how to really say it. But I read this, and this is powerful. Listen, it's a little bit long, but listen to this. The gospel proclaimed from the pulpit is either confirmed and hence immeasurably enhanced or is contradicted and hence immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationship in the pews. Do you hear that? He's saying the gospel that the pastor preaches is either enhanced or hampered by the love that is in here, or the lack of love that's in here. He says, in this case, every Christian is a witness. Every time we gather together, we either strengthen or weaken the evangelistic appeal of our church by the quality of our relationships with our fellow church members. So in other words, the pastor preaches about the gospel and about how great Jesus is and how he's died for us and how he loves and that message is either confirmed after, when we break and people sit there and get to know people and, and talk to each other and love each other and pray for each other, it's either enhanced or 
when the pastor gives a benediction and says, go in peace, you're like, yep, peace out. I've got lots to do. No time for relationship. No time for these people. And everybody just goes and does their thing. Then the, the gospel message is weakened. So just by you coming to church, shaking some hands, saying hi, serving or whatever, you are doing evangelism. Don't think you don't matter. Don't think we don't miss you when you're not here. We need you here because we're doing evangelism. We all get to be a part of that. He goes on and just says this. He says the biggest barrier to evangelism is not not like the Romans road or uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, like, you know, strategies. This, This is, listen to this. He says the biggest barriers are the realities in the church like gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, unforgiving spirit, a root of bitterness, the root that just starts small but grows and grows and grows, failure to appreciate others, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and every other form of lovelessness. Those are the barriers. Since these are the squalid enemies of the effective evangelism which render the gospel fruitless and send countless thousands into eternity without a Savior. Those, those are strong words. That when we don't love each other, when we separate, when we divide, there are people that may come and say, hmm, I don't think this is it. I don't think this is it. And they turn from Jesus Christ. Or they go a different direction. Never to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But when the church can come together and be one and love each other and love even despite differences, there's great power. So much that God can do. We can't accomplish the will of God without unity because that is the will of God. It's for us to be united. It's what Jesus prayed for. When I, when I think about this, it's like, it reminds me, like, it, the more unlike we are, the better. The more unlike we all are in different ways, the better. That's why I like the Avengers right in there. They're totally, un- they're not, none of them are like each other. And that's the better. So when we are united, we share uh, a story that God exists, but we also tell this world that God loves them. And that's what he says in verse 23. He says, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. We show the world that there is a God and that God is a God of love. You know, the church, man, we should be like a manufacturing plant of, like, love and unity and peace. That's what we should be doing. We should be manufacturing, producing people of love and care, patient with each other, forgiving each other. You know, that's what we need. Because here's the thing. Like, we are different, and we're going to get, like, irritate others. We're going to, like, bother each other. That's going to happen. So what do we do? Then he's like, oh, nope, I'm not going to talk to them again. Or do we live these kingdom values and like forgive each other? 
and care for each other and be patient with each other. That's, that's how the church's got to be. Man, we've got to have that. Forgiveness has got to be like a word that we use. It's got to be part of our culture. Because we're not perfect. We're all the, if we're going to be different and love each other, then we've got to practice that. Just loving on each other, doing our evangelism, and letting the word of the Lord speak. So, we have uh, a world that's divided. We have a church that's supposed to be united. We've got to watch out. Because just as we're supposed to be in the world and, and, and showing them the love and unity, hey, the world sneaks its way into the church. And it divides. But that's where you see Paul write a lot. I mean, he writes a lot about it, but others do too. Let there be no division. We don't build up walls. We knock them down. The gospel knocks them down and brings us all into relationship. So what are we? What do you guys think? Stormtroopers or Avengers? I'm afraid that somebody, somebody out here has, did not hear a single word I heard. All they heard is like, oh, that's a good argument. And they're going to send me a, a long blog or, or something later on. Uh, that's cool. Do that on your own time. But, um, but it is interesting to think about. Are, are we supposed to be like unified and uniform? Like to all be the same? Or can we have differences? And can we appreciate those differences? And can we love each other despite those differences? How does it practically work? How do we do that? Here's what I'd say. We start with Jesus. All right, you start with loving Jesus. Remember he said, he said, I want my, my followers to be changed. I want them to be sanctified. He says, I sanctify them for they are sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. This is the truth. If we're going to be changed, if we're going to grow into one, we got to do it by first and foremost more than anything else just knowing and loving jesus this is going to be huge this is our our playbook this is the plan we have got to be if we're going to make any progress in this it's got to start with getting our noses into this book and loving this book and hearing and letting god speak into our lives Uh, we, at the beginning of the year, said, hey, we want everybody in our church to start reading the Bible, just even if it's a chapter a day. That's kind of what we're doing, right? And there's, but the reason is because that's what's going to change our hearts. And that's what's going to bring us, uh, if when, we do, when we love him first, that's going to be the power to love others. Because we're going to know how we've been loved in our foolishness and in our sin and all of that, and that's going to help us to have grace and love for others. We start with this. We start with God's Word. We, we, we tune ourselves to this. I'm no, um, I did play an instrument growing up, but I never played the piano. And um, tuning a piano, I mean, that's, that's like what professionals do. I don't think there's many people that are like, oh, yeah, I can do that. But I, I've been told, if, we, if you have a tuning fork, all right, and if you tune this piano with a tuning fork, and if you're able to be almost like Santa Claus, tune all the pianos in the world in a single night, you know, in the morning they will all be in tune. All the pianos in the world will be in tune to that tuning fork. Same thing with Jesus. If you tune yourself to Jesus, 
letting him tune you, if we all do that, then we're all tuned to him. We're not tuned to uh, the latest podcast or the latest personality or whatever else we see in our news and all that. We're, We're not tuned by social media. We're tuned by this. If we can do that, just imagine the love, the unity, the power of the gospel, the evangelism that will take place if we tune ourselves to God's word. So that's where we start. So friends, as we we hear this, as we hear this message, what did Jesus pray for? He prayed for unity. Is it possible? I know it is. He prayed for it. It will happen. But let us start now. Let this be a place where we start. We start with loving each other, and as we continue to do that, we'll, we'll, we'll love our enemies, and we'll love the other people, and I'm excited to see what God will do with a church that is one. Amen?